welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. I'm Marcy. And I'm Dee. We are finding healing after leaving a cult. We will be discussing abuse and personal experience with the ATI, IBLP, and fundamental churches. Trigger warning. This podcast may contain descriptions of various forms of abuse. Please take care for your safety and well-being while you are listening. If the content becomes too much for you to handle, please turn this off. We hope to expose harmful teachings that lead to and justify abuse. With the hope that those that are experiencing abuse can find support and escape from it. Welcome to the Umbrella Rebellion. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about Marcy's experience at the ATI IBLP headquarters um, last week. If you don't, if you haven't watched it yet or listened to it yet, I went into my story about headquarters and um, my experience and just kind of some of my observations, I guess, while I was there. So we're kind of going to delve into Marcy's story. I thought mine was going to be quick, but I had lots to say, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. So we kind of touched on it a little bit in our previous episodes, but let's just, for people who are just joining us, let's kind of go over, like, when did you start at headquarters and kind of start from there? Um, Okay. So... The way that I got to headquarters, just as a um, recap, to, to get to headquarters, that was invi- invite only, so invitation only. So it was, it was a bit exclusive, which just, just meant that somebody at headquarters had to know somebody and they had to invite you there. You couldn't just go up there to volunteer in most cases, um, unless you were a, an encouragement case, um, <clears throat> which is somebody that was going there for counseling or you know, just for help, that maybe their family asked for help. So the summer that I graduated in 98, I worked that whole summer to earn money to go to a program called Excel, which was kind of like a finish, girls finishing school. I think we went over that in the other video. And while I was there, um, my roommate was perfectly normal person and had issues with their very strict roles. And um, so was consequently in trouble quite a bit, which brought me to the attention of leadership because I was her roommate. And um, <clears throat> so that got me noticed by um, by staff there. And it just so happened that the director of that program was also director of staffing at headquarters. So that was my in um, because he knew me and knew that they were always needing staff because there was a huge turnover rate. And so as soon as Excel was finished, um, which was probably in November, um, I think they called in December or January. I forget, but it was after the holidays, probably. They called and invited me to come up there to work. Okay. And so they explained there were two different levels. You could go and just volunteer and not be paid, but they would cover part of your food. And then some meals were provided and they covered your housing. Or if you'd been there long enough, then you might get paid a very small amount um, hourly. I really, really, really wanted to do this because it was one of the only opportunities that it opened up to for service stuff. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. So um, I didn't know much about headquarters. I just knew it was a big, important place. Right. <laughs> um, and they told me that I would be working in the, probably in the international department. Okay. Which was a very small office that handled. Um, so ATI had 
a lot of different um, training centers in other countries, and they handle delegations of people coming from other countries was what the international department did. So I went up and worked, started working in the international department. Now I was supposed to be a secretary for the direct, for the director of this department, right? Okay. I'm coming there with absolutely no experience at all. I didn't even know how to type very well. Oh, wow. Well, obviously I couldn't like help him with notes. Um, and I was so green. <laughs> I, it, was, it was a wonder that they kept me in the office as long as they did. <laughs> but, uh, so kudos to them for being very gracious <laughs> um, with a very green ATI girl. But well, um, I, I ha- w- wouldn't that be pretty much almost all of the people that come to headquarters? Really? Though? Honestly, yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, if we were if we were new to the new to headquarters, then usually they were very green about everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Little to no real world experience. Exactly. Never been away from home. Right. You know. Um. I don't think I had been away from home. I Excel was eight weeks. Okay. So this was the first time, and I had done several um other things, but not for longer than two weeks at a time. So. Excel was a stretch for me for eight weeks away from home. And it was in um, very dormitory, very secluded type of very sheltered type of setting that you really weren't allowed out of the building except for once a day to walk for an hour. (laughs) So this was going and living by myself, not by myself, but with several other girls in a house. This was in, in Chicago versus Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, uh, I had my own car, which was rare. And, you know, I was in charge of eating my own food and going to the grocery store. It was, it was a new experience. It was more freedom than I had ever experienced before. Okay. Um, even as sheltered as that is, we had to ask permission to go off campus. They had to know where you were. You had, we had curfew. We couldn't be gone out later than nine o'clock at night. If you didn't do that, you got called on it. <laughs> the, for, for a while there, this is a side note, but for a while there, they had checklists that you had like accountability checklists that you had to check off and they were turned into the personnel director each week. And if they saw a discrepancy on what you reported or that you were late to curfew, they would call you and ask you why or call, call you on it. They would call you on the carpet. So if you're being honest <laughs> and writing it down the right way, they, you would get in trouble for it. That only lasted for so long, just like everything else at headquarters. But <laughs> right. um, anyway, or you get reported by somebody in your house. You never know who. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Let's see. So um, I digress. So that was in 99. So I think January of 99 was when I went to headquarters the first time. And I stayed there the whole year until the end of 99. Um, and I was in the international department to begin with. I think I was there for like three months. And then I went to uh, the registration department, which helped them run the basic and advanced seminars. So we handled registration for for all of the seminars. So anybody calling in or, or people that were sending in packets of registration that they had taken in their town, then we would enter it in the computer and they would base their numbers for the seminars off of that and how many, how many, you know, um, how much, how much material to send. Okay. Um, they had a whole seminar department in the lower four that would handle all that. So I did the rest of the time there. I did work the front desk for a little while and every morning, Mr. Gothard works in the, worked in the staff center. So there's two different buildings. Staff center had his office and was where we had 
meals and weekend meetings. The other one was the huge building that housed all the other offices. But he would come and um, check in with everybody once a day in the morning. So he would come through that front door and pass the front desk and then do his little morning rounds and then would go back to his office. So my hair was extremely curly and very, and I had permed it to, to tame the frizz. So it was probably as curly as yours, Okay, um, but it was, it was, you know, long, it was down here. So, um, so big mane of curly hair, right? And Mr. Gothard has a type. So he likes mm-hmm. soft curls. He likes blonde girls. Um, so I was not that at all. And so after several weeks of seeing me up there at the front desk, he complained and they pulled me and put me in a back office where I couldn't be seen and replaced me with a brand new person that he had picked, handpicked so that he could look at her every time he came in the front door. Okay. So I have to add on to that because obviously I'm curly haired as well. When I was at headquarters and I was changing from the kitchen to do something else, there was nobody at the front front desk. Yes. And I had, I don't know if I had asked about it or somebody mentioned that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, you know, why couldn't I just, I mean, I've done secretarial type stuff for years. Yeah. So I was like, why, you know, why couldn't I? And they're like, you have curly hair. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I think we'll get into at another time is because yes, some of the teachings of ATI and IBLP was that you have unchangeables. Yes. And yes. It was curly totally hair. Mm-hmm. Curly hair is an unchangeable. And yep. so for Mr. Gothard mm-hmm. to frown upon people being in a position where they, they will see a lot of people yes, because they have this unchangeable thing. It's like, well, you're, you're not supposed to change your unchangeables and yes. they're supposed to be things that you're supposed to be proud about, not really proud about, but yes, you're not supposed to feel bad about them. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But Mr. Gothard was going to make you feel bad if you had curly hair. Yes. Well, and, and the funny thing was, was that, um, so I guess when this was mentioned to my, um, supervisor in the registration department, sweet, sweet lady, Mm -hmm. um, she came to me and she said, is there any way that you can soften your hair? And I said, like what? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, just, can you just soften your curls a little bit for me? And I said, uh, I don't think so, but I will try tonight. If you would like me to, she said, yes, please try it. Because she had just trained. I had been training on the front desk for a long time. It was hard to get to know. It was a massive phone system, massive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was the main line. So, and I was good at it and I knew all, I had all the numbers me- memorized everything. So she was going to have to retrain somebody <laughs> They got rid of me. And so, um, and also she really didn't have another position to put me in kind of your thing where they mm-hmm. put you someone weird, somewhere weird because they didn't have another position. Mm-hmm. Same problem with me. So I didn't see, this is all hindsight. I didn't see this coming at me at the time. And I didn't completely understand what had happened until many years later. But, um, so I went home, I blow dried my hair out. It was a lion's mane. <laughs> yes, I can relate yes. to that. <laughs> okay. It was absolutely ridiculously out of control. Also, I did not know how to handle curly hair very well at all because it had always been encouraged to be natural. So didn't have any idea. 
So I tried it out. I tried curling it. It was a horrible disaster. I went back into my supervisor the next morning and said, I can't do this. You should have seen this. I was a lion. It was horrible. It was awful. I, it, there's no way I can get it to soften. And she's like, okay, well, never mind then. <laughs> and then I got stuck in the back office <laughs> doing one of the least, least favorite activities in that office. <laughs> oh, so, um, I did that until I uh, left at the end of that year. So my parents brought me back at the end of 99 because they were afraid of Y2K. And they encouraged me to stay home. Of course, I wanted to go back to headquarters because I really liked being free at, to a certain extent. Right. At home. Right. Right. Well, I'm the oldest of six kids and a lot was expected of me. And I had to run the home while my mom was out. And so and a lot of things like that. And I was tired of doing that work. <laughs> you were tired of being second mom. Yes, I was absolutely tired of being second mom. And that's exactly what I was doing all the time. I mean, I did that all through high school. I was trying to school myself. So this was new freedom. So this was fun. And the only type of freedom I had access to. So, so I came home for a few months. I got, jo- I got a job in between. Uh, they called back and I think I went back by March of the next year. So it was only gone for maybe eight weeks. Um, and that time I ended up being in their staffing department. And so I got to do all the coordinating for, um, staff coming in. So they had, um, quotas on how many kids could be in a house mm-hmm. and where they stayed. So as new staff would come in, I would decide where they were at and where our ratios were okay for them to stay. Um, whether it was in the dormitory or the apartments or the houses that we had, and they trained me to do tours. So I did tours of this, of the production center. So I enjoyed that job a lot. I forget where I went next. I bounced around to several different offices, but <clears throat> did that one. I think I did a seminar seminars for a little while where they planned the dates of the seminars and kind of coordinated basing in advance. But by that time, those were dying off. They were getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So it, even in the four years that I was there, they went from very prevalent to not so much. Mm-hmm. And then um, toward the tail end of that experience, they started a program called Verity. And so I think, I don't know whether there was a growing concern with parents that their children weren't going to college or if this was just a new and bright idea that Mr. Gothard got set onto, because this happened quite often, he'd get excited about an idea and then it would die out really fast. But this was a new and exciting idea. You could do college from home. You could do it in two years instead of four. Um, this really elaborate, very not planned idea. <laughs> and and, and um, my mother wanted so badly for me to come home and I was like, no. And so, um, so I signed up for Verity and they said I could do school and run their, uh, be their registrar at the same time. So I was in charge of people signing up for this new program. We had nothing ready when we oh, went wow. to a Knoxville. We had very little, very little set up. Um, but we were trying to do a pilot program and, mm-hmm. Um, I forget how many students we had that first pilot program, maybe 20. I don't even remember. Was that, was that like in 2003? Yes. No. Well, it may have been at the end of 2002 because 2003 was when I left 
and they we already had students there and they had been there for a semester or two at least a semester already okay so it would have been in july so this would have been 2002 okay because when i was there from october to december of 2002 i know verity was talked about quite a lot yes um, and I had even kind of like thought about possibly doing Verity for a while. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. wasn't Verity up at Northwoods? No, Northwoods was off limits for anything other than Mr. Gothard and a few, a very few conferences, very, okay. very few. Um, so it was in Flint, Michigan. So they had just oh, attained. Flint. That's right. They, they had just atten- uh, attained Flint's training center and it had just finished going through like an overhaul of like a remodel and they still weren't done when we moved Verity in there, but it was the only available training center. Right. (laughs) Right. And so, um, so that's where we were sent. They debuted Verity at Knoxville. I talked myself hoarse because, because they had put us, they put our table behind the choir and the choir was singing and I had 50 million parents at this table saying, tell me about it. And I was trying to scream over the choir. So, (laughs) so, um, and I was the registrar. So obviously I was the person in in charge of signing up all these people. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, (laughs) So so that fall we traveled between headquarters. We had, um, we had some headquarters time and we had some, Flint, Michigan time. Most staff for Verity were in, in Flint, but me and the director of the program and his assistant would travel back and forth Oh, okay. Um, because he wanted to keep a presence, our presence in the headquarters. He knew how the system worked. He knew if we were not in front of Mr. Gothard that we would get forgotten mm-hmm. and the, and that the program would, um, would fail, that it would yeah. die. And he was right. Yeah. And so, um, we Try to keep that until Mr. Gothard got frustrated with it and sent us all to Flint and said, I'm done. <laughs> and I lasted, I don't know, I lasted maybe two months in Flint before I was at before I left for home. In the in the midst of that, watching that program happen and its inception, and then how Mr. Gothard handled it. And then we had an issue with some students there that we had that were it's kind of the wasn't the only thing, but it was what broke the straw for me because Mr. Gothard came in and talked to us and lied to us about the situation. And he also lied to us about how it was being handled. And thank goodness that the director of the program had the honesty to come to us and the foresight to come to us and tell us as staff what was, what the truth of what was going on first before Mr. Gothard even got to us. Oh, He called, he called an early meeting and said, come in and talk with us, talk with me first, because I want you to hear the true story. And then Mr. Rother came in and bunch of, bunch of junk words I could use for that. And that's when my rosy colored glasses came off. I was already questioning some, but that was the, that was the last straw for me. So I had already been kind of listening to music uh, that I wasn't supposed to be listening to for probably three months leading up to that. And I had, you know, watched movies. We weren't allowed to do that there. Um, I would take my computer in the car <laughs> and watch movies in my car on my laptop. <laughs> I even had, I even had um, a friends join me in the car. We would park where nobody could see us. And watch movies in the car. <laughs> you know, horrible, sinful things like Mission Impossible. So, you know, <laughs> 
um, <clears throat> or Italian Job. That was a favorite, right? Oh, that was good. I like that movie. It a, yes, it was a good one. So not anything horrible, just right. Just doing what run of the mill, you know, action adventure. Yeah, run of the yeah, but it was forbidden, so we would we would have been sent home for that. So we that was hidden. Um, yeah. So I had already started down that road a little bit and had started questioning some things, and um, I branched out and started reading different books that had been forbidden before. Also very sinful things like The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings mm. or Harry Potter because it was magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I read a couple of the first Harry Potter books that are there too. Um, <clears throat> so there was some premise to that, but that broke the camel's back. And I said, I'm done. And um, I came home very broken and very disillusioned because, you know, I thought all this stuff that I've been taught since I was five or six, um, what are lies? And I had invested four years at their headquarters and it was all lies. And, um, I was starting to see that I couldn't function in the real world, um, unless I did something different. So I lived at home for a few months. When I came back, I tried to finish Verity's program and completely failed because it was not planned. And I was too in too much of a I would really say depression coming out of it that I just couldn't do school. So I got a job. I got an apartment, went into deep, deep debt, trying to just pay bills because I didn't know how to budget. I didn't know how much money I needed to make it a job. I didn't have a lot of job skills, so I couldn't get a very good job. And it went from there. (laughs) So. Okay. So when I'm trying to think. So you said that there was like an issue with some of the students, like, was there like, and I, you don't have to go into detail if you don't want to. I don't even remember the names of the students involved. So we, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not going to get anybody in trouble. Uh, one of the Flint staff members that ran the, the Flint facility was the son of a long-term employee to Mr. Gothard, very close to Mr. Gothard probably like 20 years in his service or something like that at one training center or another, um, got sexually involved with one of our students. But the student that was ours was the female. So obviously the scapegoat. And so this went on for a while and then it finally came to light. And so the girl got sent home. The boy got sent to Northwoods as was custom. If a, boy, if whatever immoral thing they found a guy in, they always got counseling at counseling from Mr. Gothard at Northwich, which just meant it took him out of the limelight. Things died down and then they could do what they wanted, especially since he was the son of a very valued, loyal staff member. Yeah. So he nothing, wasn't gonna... nothing could happen to him. Nothing right. could happen to him because it was Mr. Gothard's prized person. So what, what did, Mr. Gothard tell y'all that was like, that was the lie. Yeah. I want to, it was very convoluted. So, um, so that was, that was the base level story of, of why. Um, so the, the director of Verity wanted to handle the situation in a much better, much um, 
more equitable manner. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want the girl to get sent home. He didn't, he didn't want the boy to go to Northwoods. I forget what all he argued for, but it was a much fairer way to handle the situation. And Mr. Gothard just wanted to handle it wrong like he always had. Mm-hmm. And so Trent disagreed with him. Trent was the director. He disagreed with him and Mr. Gothard got angry with him. And so he wanted to fire the director. He wanted to rearrange everything. That's when all of us got sent from headquarters to Flint. And so he told us some cock and bull story about uh, like some kind of allegory that was totally twisted, didn't make any sense about why he was okay to fire him over this um, problem with students and why, um, why he was handling the students the way he did. And I think, I forget which question he answered no to, but he lied to us about how he was handling it when Tritt had told us that he was um, handling it a different way. And he mm-hmm. also made it sound like the director had, our director had um, said some things that he didn't. Oh. And so the only reason that we knew that that wasn't what he said, or that wasn't the twisted way that he had said it was because he had told us before Mr. Gothard had gotten there. So Mr. Gothard took his story and did this to fit his, his agenda. Mm-hmm. And we, I could see it happening. Yeah. So I forget the one statement that I knew right then. I was like, that is a bold face lie. He is lying through his teeth to us. But I just sat back in my chair and I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, did before that statement, you had kind of, you said you that you had started to kind of like branch out and do things you weren't supposed to do. So mm-hmm. was there something yes. that happened prior to that to make you question what you had been teaching and if it was right? I don't, it was like a slow dawning. It wasn't like a, a wake up call moment. It was kind of a slow dawning of, oh, I have, I, when you don't have freedom, when you don't know what freedom is, which I didn't from home, I was too sheltered. And then I tasted this tiny bit of freedom at headquarters, even though it really wasn't freedom at all. But it was more than I had at home. I started realizing, oh, I can make decisions for myself. <laughs> and and that just kind of led into, oh, I can, I could actually, you know, maybe not wear skirts all the time, which I had been doing since I was 12. I think a couple of the girls at headquarters were not required to wear skirts at home. Their families more, were more less conservative than mine. Mine was on the more extreme end. And so I had gone home on holidays or summer vacations or whatever to that with them and they didn't follow those rules. And so I didn't feel like I had to either. And it changed my view of what was necessary and that it really didn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm not being very articulate tonight and I feel a little distorted in the story, but it's okay. No, I I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to remember all of that stuff because it's it, been so long as well. It ha- It is. It is. And things are coming back to me as we're talking like, oh, yeah, that was because of thus and such. Or, or, oh, yeah, it was the friend's house that really kind of triggered. Oh, well, these parents don't expect it. And my parents do. And we're all in the same program. And we all work at the same place. And we all think the same way. Why is that? What makes it different? And, right. and it just put questions in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
um, that there's people out there that are in this. And that's kind of what happened to me mm -hmm. when I went to a friend's house uh, for like Thanksgiving and um, Christmas. It was like, okay, there's different, like, it's like almost a spectrum, right? Like you yes, have a spectrum, the super uber conservative that follow every word of Mr. Gothard. And then people who don't follow every single word of Mr. Gothard and they've, they've made decisions for themselves but then they also hide it to a certain level as well. Yes. Because, I mean, you can't go to these things and not wear the attire, right? Like, right. they wouldn't be true to their convictions, per se, because they would put on the uniform right. that was expected of them. Yes. And so you would think that everybody was doing the same thing when they weren't. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and I, I am not innocent. At the beginning, I was little miss goody two shoes. <laughs> and even toward the end, because I had achieved in their hierarchy of, um, like you were saying, the spectrum of families, those families that were more conservative were also thought to be more, to be better. Mm -hmm. um, just as culture dictated, which was totally wrong, but <laughs> I didn't want to yell. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I get that. I get you. Um, also, at headquarters, there was a hierarchy, too, because nobody stayed for very long. The turnover, mm. turnover was extremely high. So for me to have been there for four years, there were very few people there that had been there that would have let, stayed that long. There was a very core group. That was yeah, there. I remember there being like maybe a handful of people, maybe handful. 10 max, like between... Yeah families that were staff mm -hmm. and single students that were staff like there was and i i don't even do you remember how many people were there usually typically um when i did staffing there was at least i would say close to 200 um, that's what i was thinking two to three hundred max single single staff okay um and then, uh, and then you had the staff families, but there were maybe, I would say maybe 10 staff families. Yeah. And though those staff families were, um, the husbands were employed in very, very leadership, top leadership roles of the departments. Mm -hmm. And then the wives stayed at home and took care of the younger kids. And usually their older adult kids worked in the at headquarters with the rest of us. They were yeah. volunteers too. Yeah. Um, and, and their kid, the younger kids worked there too, sometimes because the, um, ATI was not above child labor. <laughs> no, not at all. No. Do no. you, do you recall the youngest person that you know that was there? 12. Working 12. Without, without a parent, without a family or a parent supervision, 12. Okay. Yeah. Do you know the youngest child that worked there? Like while you were there, even if they were a staff family member? Um, I remember them being around and helping with service projects. I don't remember if they actually were in the office on a regular basis, maybe 16, 14, okay. 14 to 16. Okay. Um, I'm still friends with some of those staff families. I could ask them if they were, if, what they actually did. Cause I'd lose track of the kids and who they right. were, because they were, <laughs> cause usually there were eight of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Of them, yes, <laughs> eight or more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's classic ATI. You know, you yeah. know, if you had six or more kids, you were very, very pious and blessed. <laughs> yes, yes.
so I'm trying to think. I was just thinking of something. So we had kind of talked on my episode about, you know, a lot of the women, girls that go up to headquarters, you know, Mm -hmm. they go to serve because that's basically all we have as an option in that belief system. And then also we talked about, you know, finding a husband is kind of the underlying um, reason people, you know, females would go up to headquarters. Is that something that kind of was on your radar while you were there? Um, At the beginning, no, because um, I was, I turned 20 the the first year I was there. So um, I was, or I turned 20. One. No, I turned 20 while I was there. So I was still very young, still very sheltered. So that wasn't um, in the forefront of my mind. It was too innocent to figure that out. But within a year or two, that that was always um, a prevalent thing um, mm-hmm. as far as um, this would be a really good opportunity to find one. My home church had maybe all of three guys that I could choose from. <laughs> so this was, you know, that was in my mind. I'm getting older. And, it, and at, I guess by the time I was 22, that was really old to me because a lot of them are already, you know, getting married and that you wanted to be married young and have kids young and that we can have more kids. And so I, age was an impression to me. I felt like I was getting too old too fast and I wanted to start family early. So, yeah, so that was, that was, I would say within a year or two of being there, that was definitely a a thought in my mind, although I didn't know how to pursue it. And I'll tell you a funny story. So (laughs) since I hadn't been around a lot of guys, we weren't allowed to date. We weren't even allowed to look at guys very much. They weren't allowed to look at us. It was very, very forbidden there at headquarters too, because there were stories floating all around all the time that a guy went by a girl's desk three times in a week and he got sent home because they thought he liked the girl because he happened to be at her desk too many times. So it was, there were strict rules and fear instilled there where the guys couldn't show interest in the girls because, you know, they could get sent home. Um, and also the girl will probably get sent home too. Right. right. <laughs> um, Even though she close. may have done, she may have done nothing, but. Yeah, she may have done nothing. She may have smiled at him and, and it probably would depend on the level of the guy's uh, status too. If he was higher status than she was or had been there longer then he would stay and she would go home. So it, it, you know, it would, it was uneven there in the, in that. Um, so it was frowned upon. Of course, it always happens when you get a group of, of young kids from 18 to 25, it's going to happen. Um, and you could get reported easily and you never know who, you never knew who was reporting who. So, um, what was I going to say? I had a, I, there was rabbit trail. Hold on. We were talking about, um, you know, the focus of finding oh, a husband. Oh, funny story. So I didn't know how to talk to guys. I didn't know how to flirt. I didn't know how to be friendly. I didn't know how to talk to them without a huge amount of fear or um, because, you know, for for fear that I would lead them down the wrong path because that was always the woman's responsibility, not mm-hmm. theirs. And so I would just kind of avoided them like the plague or I would be friendly, kind of friendly, but I was very awkward friendly. So, you know, (laughs) I couldn't really be friends with them. And I remember my dad coming to me and saying, you know, Marcy, you can talk to the guys that are there. And I was like, well, yeah, but, you know, 
and and I was like, I it was out of the conversation was out of the blue for me, but I must have said something that triggered him to think that I was being way too conservative as far as talking, not talking to the guys. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you can talk to them. They're humans too. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, whatever, dad. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was always the sidekick. I did not have any interest there or none that I was aware of. I may have been very, very unaware of it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, the other thing, the other part of that is you may have been unaware of it because they couldn't have made yes. their intentions known any, either unless yeah. they had gotten your father's permission to talk to you exactly. and all of that stupid stuff. So yeah, all of the courtship stupid stuff. Yes. Right. So yeah. they mm-hmm. were a person who was following, you know, the whole teachings and everything. Mm-hmm. They might not necessarily have. Yeah. They and they would have gotten sent home. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't do a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> they really couldn't. Yeah. So um, I, Toward the end of headquarters time, I chaperoned a couple, um, I think just the once or maybe twice, because both parents had had said yes to the courtship, but they couldn't be courting at headquarters and they weren't ready to leave. And so I chaperoned a get together off campus with parents' permission, but not headquarters. It was a secret at headquarters. (laughs) That was the awkwardest thing ever. I bet. It was the awkwardest thing. <laughs> and I loved them both. And they are still both happily married. And I would do it again for them. But oh my goodness, very awkward. ATI <laughs> <laughs> terms. I mean, I, I mean, not in anybody else's terms, in ATI terms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh gosh. I can think of two couples that I know that could have been the the two you're talking about. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah they had to stay within like i don't know 10 feet of me or something like that so i they would walk ahead so they could talk so i couldn't hear them but i still had to be within line of sight so god it, it was anyway it was bad because the parents had all kinds of rules oh goodness yeah <laughs> so insane it was so insane, insane. Mm-hmm. um so do you know anybody like that we went to, or like that was at headquarters with you that is still in it or. Mm, most of them are out. I'm trying to think. Some of the acquaintances that I knew that I worked with there, but were not close friends um, may still be in it. I can think of maybe one and I don't know how deeply. Yeah. So, um, I just know that some of the views are still the same. Oh, okay. But 90% of them have gotten out. Okay. At varying levels of varying degrees. Right. Of the walk. Right. (laughs) Yes, it's a spectrum. And I know all of them still struggle with the same things that I struggle with as far as the brainwashing and the, the principles coming back to mind that, that are lies that you have to rewire brain not to think we've talked about it on multiple occasions mm-hmm. yeah you know i think you are the only person from headquarters that i really have ever gotten into a conversation about anything with so i really don't know like where anybody is but you know it's like i was only there for three months so it was kind of like you know the friendships can only be so deep 
you know? Yes. Agreed. And four years is, a <clears throat> you kind of go through the fire together after four years there. Mm-hmm. Cause you go through um, staff turnover and you go through um, some really crazy stuff that happens at headquarters all the time. So those were forged in the fire. I keep up with some of them more than I do others. Um, mm-hmm. But most of them via Facebook. Yeah. Actually, oh. I that story was very short with for the amount of time that I was there, but I can't, I'm like, I'm not pulling details that like it didn't go on rabbit trails that we could explore. Right. Well, I mean, because when I was there, I had such a different experience coming into it. Yes. There were things in that short amount of time that were like, eh? Uh? Yes. What? Yes. Because you were coming in with it with fresh eyes and I was going into it. I came out of it. I was going into it with it just having been inundated with it, already brainwashed. Right. And then coming out of it. Um, you didn't have a frame of reference to go, well, this really is didn't. <laughs> this is worldly and so is this in here. And mm-hmm. they say this, but that doesn't seem right because you were you were taught not to um yeah. we couldn't question anything. We were not allowed to question anything, especially especially the guru like Mr. Gothard. Right. Um I think that there was there's a there's an inner part of me that reacts to injustice that's just part of my personality i'm having issues with my mixer uh-oh okay oh there we go okay got it yeah got okay. it <laughs> all right so there there's an inner part of me that that has trouble with injustice i um if i sense it at all i react really hard to it. And I think that toward the end of my head time at headquarters, maybe even before I started questioning things, I started feeling the injustice of a lot of it. The injustice of the guys being sent to Northridge and the girls being sent home. The injustice of, um, you know, girls being expected to do more or less or allowed to do less than the guys. Um, Opportunities were given to the guys that were not given to the girls as far as job status and things like that. Um, you know, different things like that. I started seeing a lot of discrepancies and I started saying, you know what, this isn't right. And it felt wrong to me. And so my spirit started fighting a lot longer than I, longer before I got to the point of saying, you know what, I'm going to listen to this rock music. You know what, I'm going to watch this movie or I'm going to stop wearing dresses or I'm going to buck the system at home. Um, By the time I made it, uh, by the time I made it home from headquarters, I was done. So when I got home, I, I had a conversation point blank with my parents that said, I am going to listen to the music I want to listen to. I will not follow those standards. I won't follow the standards of dress. I won't follow the standards on the movies. I won't, um, I'm not going to follow courtship anymore either. I took off my, I had a courtship ring that I had committed to dad on a ceremony when I would think I was 16. So I took that off. Um, you know, I, I went through a whole laundry list of things that said no longer doing what came out of that was that I was being rebellious. I was out from under the umbrella of, of protection that in so doing, I was opening holes in that umbrella to my siblings. They were sure that I was going to send my siblings down the path of evil because of my bad example, pretty much said that they would, I would be responsible if my siblings lost salvation over it or turned away from God over it. A lot was said to bring me back in line 
mm-hmm. under that umbrella. They didn't want me to move out because that was also out from under the umbrella, um, which I did as soon as I was able. Because <laughs> I've been living away from home for four years. I was like, I, I you know, want to take the next step and do this by myself. Um, I had started feeling some independence and you would think that that would be something that a parent would want a 24 year old person to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I was 24 by then. Yeah. And no. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Also, I still think that there was some, some part of mom that wanted me to come home and run the house for her. Yeah. How, how young was your youngest sibling when you came home? She was, she was 99. She would have been four. So by the time I came home, she was eight. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it would have been eight, 10, eight, 10, 14 and 16. But also by the time I got home, um, I had a six year old sister at home that had taken over my duties. So as each daughter left, the next mm-hmm. daughter stepped up. So she wasn't as in need as much toward the end when I came home as she was when I first left. So that first year, too hard. She did not want me to go back that second time at all. <laughs> yeah, because when you have when you have all of those kids, you you need yes. help raising them. Yes, you do. And as a, as a single mom with only two. Um, I understand while she was in some agony. <laughs> right. Also right. their responsibility for having so many children. Right. So right. <clears throat> yeah, it's that kind of like I I understand like children should have responsibilities in the home, right? Yes. Like I don't I think they should have mm-hmm. a free ride. I'm about yeah. teaching responsibility teaching them how to care for themselves, care for their, you know, surroundings, you know, teach them life skills. Right. So, but to put the whole entire household upkeep on kids is just, and that's, that's kind of basically like what that promotes is because the husband is out working, the mom is home homeschooling Mm -hmm. and she is so exhausted by the end of the day Mm -hmm from homeschooling, you know, five, six, eight, ten 10 kids that, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't have the energy to cook and clean and laundry and everything. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. Yeah. It's like doing three jobs. You're trying to school, mm-hmm. you're trying to do all the normal household and, and running your home type of things. And then also you have babies and babies mm-hmm. are exhausting. Having, being pregnant, having babies is exhausting. Taking care of babies is exhausting. Nursing is exhausting. Um, so if you, you know, even if you have like maybe three young babies, but you've got a whole bunch of older kids, you all you can manage is the three younger kids, or you can school the middle half and the older ones take care of the younger ones. Like there's just no way to do that. Well, somebody gets neglected somewhere or somebody's education gets neglected somewhere or Mm -hmm. the house gets neglected or, you know, it just, it's too much. It is. It it really Mm -hmm. is. And then, you know, a lot of a lot of the teaching is that the women are supposed to keep the home right they're yeah. keepers at home and keepers mm-hmm. of the home and so it should be perfect for your husband when he comes home yes and that's just sometimes unrealistic yeah and realistic yeah and 
you know, it's also not taught that, you know, the husbands can also help the wife mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the kids in the home. And it's yeah. like, they're supposed to come home and be, you know, catered to, mm -hmm. you know, and the kids are supposed to come second once the husband comes home. And it's like, well, those kids can't fend for themselves. <laughs> so I never, that really bothered me. Like when I was young and married and had little kids, I'm like, my kids can't take care of themselves, but you want me to run around and take care of them and you and your grown ass man? I don't think so. <laughs> yes, I was, I was fortunate. So here's the, here's a weird dichotomy to that. So that thought system was taught exactly like you just said it. Now, the system that I I observed in my own home was um, dad always helped, or most of the time, um, at least in the evenings and on the weekends. He worked very hard. He would iron clothes for church. Um, he was He's a service-oriented person, and so um, a lot of times he would help in, in those respects. Now, the homeschooling and the child, the baby care and all of that, that was left to the women. Most of the time, things he did were more manly things, but he did help. I think, um, but that mindset for me, um, so I saw a good example in my dad to a certain extent that he helped more than what maybe some other men in the ATI did. However, that mindset transferred for me over into marriage where I thought that I had to serve the heck out of him. Like I had to cook every meal. I had to do all the child care. I had to do all the home upkeep. I had to do, even when he was the one staying at home all day and I was the one out working. So even though when roles were switched, I still thought that I had to do all those things. So even though I saw a better example of it, that mindset still transferred to my marriage <laughs> where I thought I had to be the 1950s housewife. Right. And, um, and we did, we did have things like, Oh my gosh, it's four 30 scramble everyone clean up and, um, and you get dinner on the table before dad got home. We did do that. <laughs> it was a mad dash at four 30 every day. Yeah. Dad's coming! Yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. Because the house couldn't be dirty for him and dinner needed to be started. Sometimes mom would just throw onions in a frying pan so that it smelled good. <laughs> she told me that as a trick one day. She said, Marcy, when you're married, if you if your husband ever comes home from work and you don't have dinner on yet, just put onions in a frying pan, put a lid on it, and just tell him dinner will be in a minute. Because <laughs> it smells like dinner's ready. <laughs> love it that is awesome is that not quintessential to this yeah <laughs> it, is. it is let's make it look like we've got our shit together yes like and we can't tell that husband when he gets home to get a damn bowl of cereal eat your cereal like milk and cereal you can get it yourself you're a grown person <laughs> like, you might want to have a little snack dinner's gonna be late <laughs> yes. or i'm not cooking dinner tonight you can eat your cereal or you can go get a hot pocket or a burrito out of the fridge <laughs> that's oh not God. that hard he does not have to have a four course meal every single night <laughs> right right yeah but that's what was expected it was it was mm -hmm. okay so funny story my <laughs> husband cooks i don't oh nice <laughs> lucky you <laughs> when my kids were super young they had a lot of food sensitivities and i cooked three meals a day uh-huh 
every single day. It was mm-hmm. gluten, soy, corn, dairy, egg, and and rice free for a while. Oh, that's like what do we eat? Vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yes, lots of vegetables. We I would rotate a different soup every day. So we had like potato soup, um, butternut squash soup, split pea soup, which they hated, uh-huh. you know, um, <laughs> yeah. beans, you know, um, mm-hmm. And then, like, I would I would cook a gluten free type of breakfast every morning, like mm-hmm. muffins or scones or whatever. Yeah. And so I was baking or cooking almost every single day, almost yeah. all day long. And mm-hmm. when I married my husband, he said he he cooks. I'm like, I'll help you every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> That and another reason. That one reason was a good reason to marry him, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, oh. was, it was it was on the list of like he needs to be able to cook. Like oh. you can't cook, <laughs> meh. Oh, hysterical. Yes. <laughs> so you know, it's like now we have you know um, when I'm physically able to, I try to help out. You know, mm-hmm. um, but like for a long time, it was like I was constantly like working yeah. and running kids around and everything. And it was just like mm-hmm. he would he would cook and it, he's so good at like, oh, it's it's I don't have a plan. So let me just throw some something together. And <laughs> I was never that kind of person. Like, yeah, I have to like plan my weekly menu, mm-hmm. go to the grocery, cook all of the, the meals Saturday and Sunday for the rest of the week, put it in the freezer and uh-huh. be able to just pull things out. Yes. Like doing that with a bunch of little kids, like I had three, you know, young kids when I was a single mom and I was just yeah. like, I can't like, I can't do homework, cook, you know, dinner yes. Yes. and put a load of laundry on. It's like, I yeah. just need dinner. You literally like- have a 30 minute window to get them fed when you get them home. And and plus all the other things that have to be done when you walk through the front door. So yes. Otherwise you got melty kids. Yes. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yes. Which is why we don't really eat very healthy here. We eat microwave things a lot. I've learned what, what they'll eat that I can cook in 10 minutes on the stove. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what we stick with. They're lucky to get, get a big meal very often. You got to do what you got to do. I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. They get fed. Everybody's full. They're happy. You know, it's got a protein, a carb and a veggie. (laughs) So we got our bases covered. (laughs) (laughs) The protein maybe beat it, but the the carb, maybe noodles and the, and the veggie, maybe apples to go with the peanut butter, but we got it. Basic food groups, we're covered. Basic food groups, we're covered. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, so um, I guess we can kind of wrap this up. And um, yeah. I think I think the next episode, we are going to start talking about specifics of the teachings, um, kind of dissect them, mm-hmm. um, kind of give our opinions on some of them. If you have any, if you are a survivor of the HEI IBLP cult, IBLP cult, or the fundamental Baptist groups, um, and you have an idea for an episode, you'd like to hear what we have to say on a specific topic, please Mm -hmm. find us on the social medias, Umbrella Rebellion. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. 
Um, I haven't set up a Twitter. I hate Twitter. Not doing it. Sorry. <laughs> I don't have one either. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. So drop us a comment, drop us a message. And, um, you know, we, we definitely want to talk about things that are relevant to you and what you're thinking about. We did have on our live, somebody suggest that we need to talk about dating. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, yes. So maybe yes, we can go. Maybe we could go into a little bit, I guess, our history of dating, marriage, you know, yes. in how the cult kind of affected our relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm in a very healthy relationship now. So um, we can talk about different experiences between healthy and unhealthy relationships. So I like that. I like that. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us this week on the Umbrella Rebellion. Don't forget to subscribe and like and follow us. And we hope that you will join us next week and join the rebellion. Bye. Bye.